This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. When we need to solve a problem or find an answer to a question, it's human nature to consult those around us. But is that always the best approach? When does engaging in discussions yield more accurate answers, and when does it not? Penn Integrates Knowledge Professor Barbara Mellers and Wharton doctoral student Ike Silver are here to talk about their new research paper on that subject titled Wise Teamwork, Collective Confidence Calibration Predicts the Effectiveness of Group Discussion. Barbara and Ike, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, The idea behind the wisdom of crowds is that pooling judgments from individuals can lead to more accuracy. But you note in your paper that when the crowd engages in conversations, sometimes accuracy can suffer. Why is that? In what ways could discussion decrease accuracy? Ike? Sure. So the idea of the wisdom of crowds draws on this very intuitive statistical idea, which is that uh, if you take a group of people and you ask them a question, nearly all of them will get the question wrong. But on aggregate, they will get the question wrong in ways that are sort of unbiased, meaning that their errors will cancel out. And so when we allow people to talk to each other, obviously um, their errors become correlated, which is to say that they listen to one another. And that can be a really great thing if the group is mostly listening to someone who is uh, you know, on the smarter end of the, of the distribution of people in the group. But it can be a bad thing if people are listening to someone who's uh, persuasive, uh, but not necessarily knowledgeable. And then uh, actually in the context of discussion, there have been some, some well-documented uh, biases that can arise. So one of them is that groups tend to listen to um, sort of ideas that are held more broadly at the expense of unique expertise uh, held by specific individuals. So groups will sometimes... Um, ignore individuals who have unique ideas that might be helpful um, because they're not sort of the prevailing views. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing that happens in discussion is that people, uh, people will start to care about how they look, um, and that can just be distracting, which can exacerbate some of the other, uh, some of the other biases that, that I've mentioned. There's also lots of work on groupthink, conformity, um, uh, and... Uh, bystander intervention that uh, shows how ineffective groups can be. So that's well documented in the psychological literature. Right. So those are the downsides of uh, conversations. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. And the other thing we should mention is just that uh, conversations are costly. So there's some reason to believe sort of upfront that we should use them sparingly because you're putting people in a room, you're asking them to spend their time, there's logistical considerations, and so there's like just costs associated with conducting discussions in the first place. Yeah, but most for the most part, they like to get together and talk about things right. so it doesn't yeah. feel costly. <laughs> that's right. Not always, though. Not everyone likes meetings. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, so what was, the, what was the big question you set out to answer with this research? Uh, well, we wanted to know the conditions under which... Uh, uh, discussion helped. And we came up with a, a paradigm to answer that question that's really quite simple. Um, we had people come into the Wharton Behavior Lab. We uh, put, put them in front of computers, asked them, took away their cell phones so they couldn't look up the answers, and then asked them questions like, what's the, the diameter of Neptune? Or what's the population of Madagascar? Or the year in which the printing press was invented? Now, the first thing they did was to put their independent estimate into the computer. 
then we had them turn their chairs around and talk to three other people who were were surrounding them for two or three minutes and see if they could collectively come up with a better answer than what they currently had. So they they chatted and and then when that period was over, they turned around and uh, entered a new estimate to the question. They didn't have to reach consensus. We just took the average of the independent estimates originally, the average after discussion, and compared those averages to see if the second one was more accurate than the first. So it was a a simple paradigm, and with a variety of different questions, we found that um, we had a lot of questions for which people got better when after they talked, and a set of questions for which there was no effect. And then a bunch of questions for which they got much worse after they had discussion. So we had a situation along the lines of what we wanted. We had discussion having a variety of effects, and the big question for us was, what predicts when discussion helps? And what did you find? What was the key factor here at play? Sure. So um, the thing that we found that we're, we're sort of most excited about is this idea of collective confidence calibration. And, and just to give you a sense of what we mean by that, um, calibration in general refers to uh, sort of an appropriate correspondence between knowledge and confidence, which is to say that if you know the answer, you're confident. Uh, and if you don't know the answer, you're unconfident. We would call someone who has that property um, well calibrated. But in this project, we were looking at calibration across a group of individuals. And so what we measured before a conversation, in addition to asking them for uh, an estimate of the, of the question at hand, we also asked them to say how confident they were in their initial answer. And then what we did is we looked at the groups that were about to have discussions, and we calculated for each one of those groups a collective confidence calibration score, which essentially captured the extent to which individuals who had better pre-discussion answers were more confident, and individuals who had worse pre-discussion answers were less confident. And so sometimes we found that confidence and knowledge lined up that way across a group, and we would call that sort of group well-calibrated. But on the other hand, sometimes we found that uh, there were groups for which individuals who had worse pre-discussion answers were more confident, and individuals who had better pre-discussion estimates were less confident. And that would be a group that we would call poorly calibrated. And so what we did was we tried to predict uh, the likelihood that a group a group's average answer would improve after discussion using these pre-discussion calibration scores. Well, now, so confidence can be a little bit of a minefield. Uh, Barbara, in a recent interview that we did about um, how noise impacts predictions, you mentioned that um, overconfidence is one of the major biases that that you you might encounter in a group. So, So is there any danger... For that, in this context, can too much confidence among members of the group lead to worse judgments? Sure. That's always a concern. Um, the, the aspect of confidence that we were interested was in the relative confidence among group members. So we weren't really interested in the, the level, just the rank ordering. Did the most accurate person also say that he or she was most confident or not? Was he? Was that person the least confident? And when that happened, 
that correlation was in the right direction, it was a great predictor. It was, it was, it was an excellent predictor of whether the average of group estimates would become better after discussion relative to before. Right. So that's where the calibration is key. Yeah. Right. And right. I'll just yeah. mention a little bit about why we think that that's happening, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. to say sure. that um, when our participants went into the discussion phase, they were sitting in a circle with you know four or five other participants, and their task was essentially to figure out how can I take this conversation and improve my estimate? And a part of doing that is figuring out who who's knowledgeable amongst the group and who to listen to. But of course, these questions are challenging, the answers aren't obvious, and so it's hard to know who you should listen to. And there's some uh, there's sort of a well-documented effect in the literature, which is that in the absence of information about who is knowledgeable, individuals will rely on expressed confidence as a cue. So you'll listen to the most confident person or, or someone who's sort of more assertive and, and uh, sort That's of leans into the conversation. not a bad cue in many cases. Right. And but... so what we were up to is trying to explain, uh, you know, when is that going to be a good strategy and when is it going to be a bad strategy? And it turns out that listening to the most confident person is a good strategy when the most confident person also happens to have pretty good judgment. Um, but listening to the most confident person is not a great idea when that person doesn't happen to be one of the more knowledgeable members of the group. And so we are sort of exploiting that uh, that variation in calibration uh, to predict when listening to the most confident person was a good idea. And we actually asked participants to identify uh, who was the most knowledgeable member of their group. And we found that that, too, was predicted by pre-discussion calibration scores. So another something else that caught my eye when I was reading your paper was this notion of the illusion of effective discussion. You don't go into it in great detail, but I'm curious about it because if I'm under that illusion, I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what, what is it and why is it important? Well, one thing that regularly happened regardless of whether group discussion had a positive effect or not, was that the average confidence in the group increased before discussion relative to after. And <laughs> that got us thinking. Do um, you want to go on from here? Yeah, sure. Uh, so when we looked at the at the data, what we found was that groups became more confident in their answers about 90% of the time. So groups nearly always thought that discussion improved their answer. At least that's our interpretation. We also asked them explicitly, do you think that discussion helped you? Uh, and we asked them to predict beforehand, do you think discussion will help you? And we and found that sure. consistently they said, yep, discussion will help me. These questions are hard. And then afterwards they said, absolutely, my answer got better from talking to other people. But in reality, there was great variation in whether or not discussion actually improved uh, groups' answers. So groups improved, uh, on average, only about 55 or 60 percent of the time. And so uh, we call that sort of undue confidence, or at least the cases in which uh, groups' confidence increased but their accuracy didn't, we call that the illusion of effective discussion. It's a very tentative name for it, but it's a pattern in the data that we that we observed uh, and that we're interested in looking into a bit further. It's kind of a warm glow, a, a warm glow that comes from the conversation. Okay, I'm doing due diligence. I'm talking to my my friends or colleagues about this question. And um, people just don't seem to realize that that conversation can have dilatory effects on how accurate they are at a particular estimation task. 
I think doctors must experience this a lot because this is reminding me a lot of sitting alone in a room and Googling your illness, right? <laughs> and, and you see, it, and it's almost like engaging in a conversation where you're getting all this feedback that may or may not be right, but people come across as such authorities on their, on their own blogs, uh, for example. A, f- a friend of mine calls that cyberchondria. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's a, it's a kind of similar effect, I think. That's yeah. exactly right. So, so we think that when people can sort of engage in, in, as Barbara said, due diligence, that their confidence will go up in, the, in their answer, whether or not their answer actually improves. What we're particularly interested in is whether that sort of due diligence to confidence pathway is even stronger in a group context. It does seem to be that there's something about talking to other people that makes you really feel like you're getting... Uh, smarter, maybe even in ways that just sitting by yourself and doing research or, or deliberating further might not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so what are the practical implications of your research for companies and organizations? Sure. So, I think the biggest practical implication for organizations is that, uh, and this is this is tentative and needs to be followed up on in, in future research, but. Organizations need to think about assembling teams not only of talented and knowledgeable individuals, but also of individuals who know what they know and what they don't know, who are well acquainted and self-aware with their own talents. And so what we found in our data is that above and beyond how knowledgeable a group was at time one, this confidence calibration, this idea um, that people have a, in some cases a meta-awareness of what they know and what they don't, uh, was a really strong predictor. And so Right now in the in the marketplace, what you'll see is that organizations will administer tests to people that they're hiring, and oftentimes those tests tests ask job candidates about um, you know problem solving uh, or uh, you know area specific knowledge, and they use that as a way of getting a sense of is this a is this a smart knowledgeable person that I want to have in my organization. And that's great. Uh, but you could very easily add to those sorts of test questions about, you know, how confident are you? Answer this question and then tell us, do you think you know the answer to this question? And in so doing, organizations could start to get a sense of uh, whether or not they're staffing uh, their teams, not only with knowledgeable individuals, but with individuals who are self-aware and who know when to lean into a, a teamwork context and when to sort of sit back. So... Um this suggests a number of different avenues that we're heading in at the moment. And one of them is how can we make groups better from the start so that they're more capable of, of learning or benefiting from the discussion? And we've toyed around with some tips that we could give people, three tips. Um, the first is something that's been shown to uh, reduce overconfidence um, among professionals in, in several areas, and that's to ask people to think about the opposite or think of at least one reason why they're wrong. So now Ike has said, well, we don't want everybody to dampen down their confidence. And actually, we don't really care. It's the relative ratings of confidence that we care most about. Um, uh, the second tip would be to listen to the estimate of every single person in the group. Don't let anybody get by without speaking. The shy people in the corner who aren't aren't saying anything. Um, and also ask them the reasons behind their estimate. And the third tip would be simply don't adjust your estimate unless you trust the reasons behind it. So we are 
working on some new studies to see if some of these tips could have a beneficial effect and we'd get people to become better calibrated and um, uh, and and then follow up from that, um, become more accurate in their estimations. So it sounds like really helpful tips. Um, it, are there any other questions that the research opens up that you think would merit a look? Yep. Uh, we're, we're studying this illusion of effective conversation as well. Uh, do you want to describe those? Yeah, studies? sure. So, so I mentioned the illusion of effective discussion as this idea that people will sometimes have uh, sort of undue confidence uh, in the power of discussion to improve their judgment. And as I mentioned, we found that sort of in these, in these preliminary data. It wasn't our key research question, but we're conducting further studies um, to try to understand what exactly is going on in discussions that's increasing people's confidence. Is it uh, having access to other people's answers? Is that enough to produce these confidence increases? Is it something about actually interacting live that causes people to feel like their, their uh, confidence is increased? Another interesting related question is, do you even have to participate in a discussion to feel like discussion improves the quality of answers? Suppose you were a manager in an organization and you wanted to uh, ask you know, a, team of, a team of employees to come up with an answer to a particular question. You could elicit their independent answers and aggregate them in some way. Or you could ask them, hey, go have a discussion about this. Schedule some time. Think about it deeply and come back to me. And what we think is that managers probably have the intuition that the latter is going to get them a better answer. But our research suggests that the latter is only going to get them a better answer some of the time. And so from a managerial perspective, uh, how can we sort of train people to know when it's a good idea to ask your employees to engage in discussion versus when it's a better idea to just say, you know what, give me your independent answers. I'll aggregate them in some simple way, and that'll be enough wisdom for whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Well, Barbara and Ike, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been very enlightening. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on your favorite uh, podcast platform, or you can visit us at Knowledge at Wharton, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.